are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. In a series called Fight, and we've said all along there's some things in life worth fighting for. So we started by saying your family is worth fighting for, truth is worth fighting for. Last Sunday we talked about the mission of the church being worth fighting for. There are so many distractions in our world, hidden agendas, they're dangerous temptations. If you're going to follow Jesus' way, you're going to have to fight. And so it's not a surprise that the Apostle Paul, when he writes to Timothy, uses the metaphor of fight, of living this Christian life. Timothy, you got to fight the good fight of faith. So... I want to talk today about this idea of fighting to be rich. You like that? There's a twist. I'll have to just tell you up front. Let me show you a picture. Who is this guy? Kyler Murray. I I used Kyler Murray because uh, living here in Oklahoma, it's a familiar face. Whether you wear the burgundy or the orange, he's a familiar face, right? Kyler Murray plays now for the Arizona Cardinals. He was a quarterback here for OU, Oklahoma University, and and now he's a quarterback for for Arizona. He he signed a contract the other day for $230 million. Do you think you could, if you had $230 million, do you think it would go a long way on what you owe? Do you think you could do, yeah? $230 million. It's a lot of money. And so... The reason I I bring up that is because 25 years ago, we were wide-eyed when John Elway signed a contract with the Denver Broncos for for $20 million. It seemed outlandish. We ask ourselves, where's this thing with money going? 25 years later, we barely bat an eye at a $230 million contract. And he's not the highest paid player in the NFL. I keep up with golf because I like to play golf. And there's something that's happening in the world of golf right now that's kind of interesting. If, if you're not into golf, you, you may not be aware, but, but there is a Saudi-backed startup league called Live, L-I-V. And they're basically buying golfers off the PGA. And they've got enough money that they can do it. So they they bought Phil Mickelson for $200 million just to sign. $200 million. Dustin Johnson for $150 million just to sign on. DeChambeau for $100 million just to sign on. I, I think what I'm trying to say is that people in the world today are fighting. And what they're fighting for is to become rich. When I say rich, I'm talking about material gain. I don't think that we're unable to totally relate. The big numbers, yes. But the desire for more, no. There's an interesting story in the live conversation, and it surrounds a guy whose name is Will Zalatoris. Will Zalatoris is... um, 26 years old, he, um, 
He's 6'2", a couple inches taller than me. He weighs a buck 65. So at 165 pounds, he's not a, he's kind of a lanky, lanky guy. He went to Wake Forest University. And uh, without ever winning on the PGA Tour, he made $10 million without ever winning. He has had a win, and now he's earned about 13 or 14 million on the tour. So someone said to Will, Graham Basinger, in an interview that I happened to hear, Will, you would be a perfect candidate for the Live Golf Tour. You'd get a signing bonus of multi-millions of dollars. Why didn't you take the offer? And Zalatoris said, it's not what I want. It's not what I value. He said, yeah, it would be more money, but that's what it would be, just more. It's not going to change my life. It's just more of what I already have. What I want, Will said, and what I value is winning majors. That's what I want to do. I want to make history. It's what I've wanted since I was a kid. And so just holding more money in front of me doesn't motivate me. I've already got a lot of money. I have another goal, and the goal is to win major golf tournaments. I was sitting home one Sunday night. It was late. I sent a text to a guy who attends our church. We'd had a brief conversation. He texts back. I said, you want to talk? And he said, yeah. So sitting on my couch, when I say late, it was probably 10 o'clock. Late has changed over the years. I'm sometimes up all hours of the night, 10, 15, or whatever, you know. He felt that God was moving him away from the job he was in and maybe calling him to another role. And he was offered four to five jobs. He's a get it done kind of guy. The job that he felt led to was the least paying job of the other four jobs. It was a cut in pay. And he said, I'm asking myself as a family, can we, can we possibly do this? Just adjust lifestyle to be able to do this. So we talked, we prayed a few weeks later. I texted him and I said, did you make a decision? He said, yes. What do you think he did? He went for the job that he felt called to, offering the lowest pay. I believe as followers of Jesus, we have to think hard about what it means to be rich. And I think what we are learning this morning in the scripture is simply this. Followers, put it on the screen for you, of Jesus must redefine what it means to be rich. 
So here we are living as citizens of the kingdom of God, but we live that life out in our culture, in America, in 2022. And if you want to ask culture, what does it mean to be rich? They have a response. They have a definition. But as citizens of the kingdom of God, we cannot let ourselves be squeezed by culture. And we've got to redefine what it means to be rich. So open your Bible with me, will you, to 1 Timothy. I'm going to be in chapter 6. I'll start with verse 5, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5. You remember that Paul planted a church on one of his missionary journeys in a town called Ephesus. And the church has been doing okay, but there's some false teachers now in the church. And one of the things that they're talking incorrectly about is money. That's one of the things they're talking incorrectly about. And so he sends Timothy to kind of straighten out the false teaching. And after Timothy arrives, Paul writes a letter to Timothy saying, this is how I want you to instruct them. We have the letter. We have a copy of it. It's awesome. We get to read it. And so in chapter 6, he talks about these false teachers who not only are trying to themselves get rich by sharing the gospel, but they're preaching a gospel that says, if you are godly, it is a way to financial gain. And so Paul says to Timothy, you've got to confront that. And then he talks a lot about the temptation of money and where it could possibly lead you. Okay? So let's go to chapter 1, to rather chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, verse 5. So talking about false teachers who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. We see this in our society today. But he offers an alternative and uses a play on words. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Timothy, when you came into this world, you didn't bring anything with you. And when you leave, you're not taking anything with you. We brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food, and if we have clothing, we will be content with that. Amen? Really? Okay. Those who want to get rich, they fall into temptation and a trap and into foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have even wandered from the faith and pierced themselves, impelled themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, you, Timothy, flee from all of this. Pursue something else. Pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. There you go, Timothy. You're going to have to fight for this. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He's probably talking about Timothy's baptism here. In the sight of God, Timothy, I want you to back up. I wasn't, yeah. In the sight of God, who gives life to, and every, to everything and, and of Christ Jesus. So in the sight of God and in the sight of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, 
So in the sight of God and Jesus, I charge you to keep this command, the command to flee from those temptations and pursue righteousness and gentleness and truth and faith and love. I charge you this, keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. This, this appearing word, um, he's, he's, he's doing something here. It's, it's the same language you would use to talk about the appearing of the Roman emperor. Listen to what he goes ahead and does. Which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. Do you see what he's saying? Timothy, there is only one ruler, and it's not the emperor of Rome. There's only one Lord. There's only one king. We, we have a different value system. We march to a different drumbeat. We fight in a different army, Timothy. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides. I mean, think about it. This is our provider, God. We're not providing for ourselves. It's not our money that provides for us. It's God who provides for us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich. Amen. In good deeds. And to be generous and to be willing to share. In the same way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is God's word for us today. Let us embrace his word for our lives and apply it to our lives this morning. You know, before I moved to Oklahoma, I, I traveled frequently to, to a country in Central America called Guatemala. And, um, and, and while in Guatemala, um, I was exposed to something that was bothersome. After I moved here, I began to travel more frequently to uh, Southern Africa. Uh, to that small country that we talk about so much called Eswatini. In, in both of those third world countries, I noticed something, but I noticed it in a way that was different from I noticed it in, in the country that I live in. It exists here. It, it was just context changed everything. And it was the presence of television preachers preaching a prosperity gospel. So I've been appearing it all my life. So God wants you to be wealthy. This is your moment. Next year is going to be a better year. You're going to get a better job. You're going to get better pay. If you only sow the seeds of faith. And so it, it, it goes from there, not to just sowing seeds of faith with your money, but sowing them into this particular ministry that you're listening to today. And the result is that you have men who are ministers who are flying around the world in 60 and 80 million dollar jets, all financed on the backs of people who are poor, believing if I just send some more money in that I can maybe have my ship one day come in and move out of poverty. 
But when I saw it in Guatemala, to people who were destitute, and when I saw it in Eswatini, it was even more bothersome. It's what Paul is trying to counter. Timothy, I want you to confront these false teachers who are saying that godliness is a means to financial gain. They're messed up in their thinking. We all know that you didn't bring anything into the world when you came and you're not going to take anything out when you leave. Let me offer you an alternative way to think about money. Godliness with contentment is great gain. What I think he's saying is simply this. There are some things in life that are worth a lot more than money. Godliness is a lot worth a lot more than money. Contentment is worth a lot more than money. Holiness is a, worth a lot more than money. Faithfulness, gentleness, love is worth a lot more than money, Timothy. And I think that's why he goes to this next idea that you've you got to realize that, that money can be really dangerous. You've you got to be careful when it comes to money. He says, the love of money, not money, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. I mean, I've, I've seen people who are eager for money, Timothy. They've wandered from the faith. They're not even with us any longer. They're gone. I'm always intrigued when I get in this conversation, and there's this proverb that comes to my mind that, that always causes me to stop and think hard for a long time. It's Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. And it says, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. You ever pray that prayer? Lord, don't let me be poor, but whatever you do, don't let me get rich. Please, God. He goes on to say, because if I get rich, I'm afraid that I would become arrogant and disown you and say, who is the Lord God? I would feel like I didn't need you. Or if I became poor, I might be tempted to steal and dishonor your name. So God, please, give me neither poverty nor riches. Simply give me my daily bread. Now, does that make you stop and think long and hard? I was on a plane one night trying to get home. It's a Saturday night. We were living in Cincinnati at the time. We were flying into Dayton. I'm sitting on a plane by a lady who was about my age, probably. She was really kind. And she made a little bit of conversation, but somewhere along the way, asked me where I lived and what I did. And when I told her I was a pastor of a church in Cincinnati, she said, oh, we attend the Ginghamsburg United Methodist Church in Tip City, just north of Dayton. I said, you know, I've been to your church. I've read some of Michael Slaughter's stuff, and, uh, and we had a Sunday off one time, my wife and I, and we drove up to Tip City, and we attended Ginghamsburg. 
And she said, yeah, you know, my husband and I, we fully bought in. She said, we, uh, we both have corporate jobs. We uh, have been blessed with good salaries. We had a huge home, which we sold to buy a more modest home. And uh, we began to think in terms of a percentage of our income that we could give away. This is very much the way the church in Ginghamsburg thinks and operates. And she said, we've, we've just kind of bought in fully. This is the life we're living now. I remember being pretty moved by the conversation. I remember kind of doing math and trying to think about, so how much of my income do I give away? How rich am I in good deeds and generosity? It's where Paul moves to. Apparently there's some Christians in this Ephesian congregation that are wealthy. Now, how do you define wealthy? That's always the struggle. Wealth is relative, right? right? So, you know, I'm, I'm more wealthy than the person who has a home with only a dirt floor. Compared to them, I'm wealthy. Compared to a billionaire, I wouldn't consider myself wealthy. It's always relative. How do you kind of get to this place to where you say, okay, if I've got food and clothing and shelter... Anything above that is excess. So how much excess do I have? It's always difficult to have this wealthy conversation. Well, I'm not as wealthy as that guy, right? Well, compared to them, I'm wealthy, but compared to them, I'm not. So it's this relative, you know, how do you pin it down? How do you, how do you, you know, hit the, you can't, it's impossible. It's, it's relative. But my, my guess is all of us live with quite a bit of excess. So Paul instructs these wealthy Christians on how you should live. Interestingly, he does not say to them, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Like Jesus said to the rich young ruler, And the reason Jesus apparently said it to the rich young ruler was because they were in a conversation about how this guy could get into the kingdom of heaven. And you assume that his money was a barrier to him getting into the kingdom of heaven, which is why Jesus said what he did. But it's not what Paul says to these people. In fact, he doesn't even say, I'm going to shame you because you're wealthy. Nor does he say, you should be embarrassed you bunch of wealthy people. Instead, he gives some really sound advice and instruction on how you live as a wealthy person in this world. You ready? Don't be arrogant. Don't think that you're better than other people who don't have as much as you have. Number two, don't put your hope in wealth. 
It's very uncertain. So right now we're in a season where what I hear in the news is that the economy is unstable. People are watching their retirement like, okay, there was this much money in my retirement. Now there's this much money. It's just gone. It just poof. We want, we want it to quit poofing, right? It's just, it's unstable. Don't, you can't count on it. Number three, if you don't put your hope in wealth, what do you put your hope in? Put your hope in God. In other words, you can count on God, but you can't count on money. Money will let you down. God will never let you down. In fact, he says, don't misunderstand that, that God is the one who is providing for you. It's not your money. God provides everything for us. Every good thing we have comes from his hand. If we ever begin to think, I earned this, I made my way, boy, we're in trouble. I have a pastor friend, and here's what he did. I'm not making this up. He got up and he stood in front of his congregation on a Sunday morning not long ago, just like this right here. And you know what he said to his people? He not only believed it, but he had the courage to say it. He said, there's many of you in this church who are good for nothing. <laughs> wow. What would you feel like if I did that? No, I mean it. A lot of you are good for nothing. He said, you're always doing good. And what do you expect in return? nothing. You just do so much good and you do it for nothing. Don't you want to pray, Lord, help me to be good for nothing? If we could just be good for nothing. And so that's where Paul goes. He says, you know, here's what you should do. Be rich. We can all get behind that, right? But the rest of the sentence reads, in good deeds and be generous and be willing to share. Don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in wealth. Put your hope in God. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous. Be willing to share. Good stuff. I went to a funeral a few months ago. And, uh, and the guy whose life we were celebrating had made I suppose a lot of money. Um, it's interesting that in the service that, that lasted probably an hour, we, we, didn't, we didn't say anything about how much money he made. It never came up. Not once. In the whole hour we spent together. Do you know what we talked about for an hour? Person after person who came up to talk right here Different people, same thing, over and over, same theme, over and over and over again. All they talked about was his generosity. Man, think about it. What, what if when you die at your funeral, the only thing they want to talk about was your generosity? Wouldn't that be kind of cool? That'd be a great way to live life. I mean, for an hour. 
Generosity, generosity, generosity. Most generous man I ever knew. Gave, 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 generous. I, I think it all hinges here. When Paul says that God provides everything for us, I think that's when we come to this place, when we really begin to believe that, that we can be generous. If God is providing for me, then I can give to you, right? I can be rich in good deeds. I can serve you. I can share with you. If God's got me, right? If God's providing for me, then I've, it's okay for me to share with you because God's taking care of me. And if God's going to take care of me, then I can help take care of you. And so he gets into this closing statement about how that we're laying up treasures for ourselves in the coming age for life that is truly life. You see, in the kingdom of God, when you begin to adopt the values of the kingdom of God, you not only find life here, the most fulfilling life that's possible. And we all know what it's like to give and to be generous and to serve and to share and, and the joy that it brings us. But it's also laying up life in the coming age. Our culture says, do you want to live you really want life, you want to live life to the very fullest, then you got to get more. You need more stuff, you need more money, you need more. The kingdom of God says, do you really want to live, do you want life? Then you got to give more. Give more time, give more away. You got to give. There's a a friend that I've had over the years, a pastor, not too long ago, he said to me, I had a real stirring, sobering experience. And when I say not too long ago, time flies, doesn't it? It was probably 10 years ago. He said, I went to see my dad. And uh, he said, my dad is in a nursing home, memory care unit small room and and I go and I see him but he doesn't know me and in fact I don't even know if he knows I'm there I try to get eye contact I, I pray for one of those moments where he'll look into my eyes and and there'll be a moment of sanity and we'll have a father-son moment but it just it doesn't happen and he said so I don't want to just leave so sometimes I just sit there for a while and so he said I'm I'm in my dad's room, and I'm sitting there in a chair, and he's in the bed, and it's just silence. And I, and I look across the room in front of me, and there is a, a closet. It's, it's probably only about this wide, not even two feet maybe. And, and in the top of the closet, there's a place to hang some clothes, and then there's two drawers under that. And he says, my dad's got a couple of shirts, a couple of pair of pants that he never puts on. And then there's just some personal items in those two drawers. And he said, I, I looked at that closet and I, I realized that all of my dad's earthly possessions are in that closet. Everything he owns. He said, now my dad, my dad did well in life. He was very successful in his business. But now here we are at the end and that's it. And he's not even taking that with him when he leaves. That's staying. And he said, I just had this moment of what, what are we living for? What are, what are, we, what are we thinking? What, are we confused? 
Do we somehow think that we take something with us when we go? We don't. And he said, it was one of those moments in my life where I just had to stop and just take an inventory of my heart, my soul, myself, my thoughts, my thinking, and kind of reset my view of money and stuff. You received when you came in communion elements. Would you take those now? If, if you and I are going to live according to the kingdom values as citizens of the kingdom of God while we're on this earth, we're going to need grace. Don't you agree? To do it. To not be squeezed by culture. We're, we're definitely going to need God's help along the way. And so we come this morning and we find ourselves in the presence of Jesus in this moment. And he offers us his grace. Transforming moments when we eat and drink together. As, as people who are influenced by John Wesley theologically, we, we don't believe this is simply a symbol. But we believe it's a moment when God does something in us. When God extends his grace to us. When he says to us, as citizens of my kingdom, living in this world, I can give you grace to live this life. I can give you grace to redefine what it means to be rich. And so if you'll open the, the bread first, and then if you will open the drink. Jesus was with his disciples, and he said to them, this is my body that is broken for you. Take it and eat it, all of you. And then when it was time to receive the drink, he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out as a ransom for many. Drink it, all of you, and be thankful. Thank you, Father, for the grace that you offer us to live with upside-down values in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.